First Corinthians chapter 15. But someone may ask, how the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last, Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. As, and as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earth man, so shall we bear the likeness on, of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flesh, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, <coughs> the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been closed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sin? The sin of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself selves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Okay, uh, happy Mother's Day to everyone, all our mothers. Um, I don't have a Mother's Day theme uh, sermon today. But I hope you'll accept um, 
I think more than appreciation, I mean, I appreciate mothers, but I admire them, admire them. I think the best, some of the best human qualities are really expressed and um, kind of exemplified through uh, motherhood. So uh, I hope you have a wonderful day and uh, not just today, but um, ongoing. Uh, today's message will be the last in uh, in our little uh, line, uh, little series on my attempted um, amalgam of the two themes of discipleship and the resurrection. I hope um, you've been able to keep pace. Um, our resurrection interest comes from the recent Easter celebration and the discipleship angle is based on our church 2022 key verses, Colossians 1. Again, right, it's there on the screen. Uh, the pertinent phrase for today is, with all wisdom. With all wisdom, in the midsection of verse 28. Of course, uh, wisdom uh, follows the admonishing and teaching terms and it, so it modifies or it should modify the manner in which we teach and admonish. But I'm going to kind of funnel out a little bit and, and have us consider uh, wisdom more uh, generally. Uh, how might the resurrection inform the exercise of wisdom uh, in a discipleship context? My sermon title uh, seeks to use the word wise in at least two ways, right? First, to remind us that we've been saying that we need to be wise disciples and disciple makers. And second, you know, how can the resurrection tie into right, resurrection wise uh, or relate to uh, wisdom? I think discipleship especially needs much wisdom. Uh, in my view, in my view, uh, a lot of biblical teaching and admonishment
how do you know which one? Sometimes they move. <laughs> Sometimes they, they move back and forth. Okay. So um, um, how do I uh, get through this, right? Um, how do I live a vibrant and productive life? So let's start with the first one, which I'm going to take out of order. The courage to change the things I can. What are those things? I'd like you to try to populate your mind with like your own kind of like, what, what, what comes to mind? What does the spirit like kind of prompt or nudge me about? Hey, this is an area that you know what you need to do. The answer is clear. You need to work on it. You need to put it into a practice. And so I want to, from the uh, Corinthians text, um, in verse 35, uh, Paul is kind of continuing his discussion here about what uh, uh, the importance of the resurrection of the dead, right? He makes a reference to a potential question that someone may raise in response to his rather strident declarations about the importance of that doctrine. Now, without that foundation, that, that the dead actually do rise, we talked about last Sunday, uh, many things become... Uh, um, it's lost. It's um, uh, it kind of goes out the window, right? Paul says that faith, right? Our faith is dead. Our confidence, right? To proclaim that faith and the need for accountability, these all die. So, in, in, in maintaining that reproving tone, in verse thirty-five, Paul anticipates a question about the form of the resurrected body. Right? His response is a is a wisdom term, right? He says. Someone may ask how the dead raised with what kind of body will they come? How foolish. You're not wise. That's a dumb question. Uh, to paraphrase. Now I don't believe that Paul is intending to discourage the asking of questions altogether. Rather, he seems to be chiding a lack of awareness, maybe an underlying laziness, um, if you will. So the, the question uh, Although nobody actually raised it, he's anticipating it. The question fails to think through what I'll call common sense knowledge about how living things uh, transform. So the analogy that he gives is in the derives from the agrarian world. He compares uh, death and resurrection to the sowing of a seed, right? So the seed is, you know, you can think of a seed, it possesses a certain form when it is first planted. After it is deposited in the ground, kind of a, a symbolic of a burial, it undergoes a death of sorts. The seed dies in a, in a sense, right? And what emerges above ground is completely different in form. The resultant plant or crop, uh, which you know emerges from its DNA, is very different in appearance from a seed. Like no plant or no flower really. I mean, it's got the seed like nestled in, but it never looks like a seed, right? It's very different in color, in, in volume, uh, in, in smell, everything, right? I, I uh, gave this illustration before, right? Like durian, if you guys are know what durian is like, um, people's uh, opinion of durian is very polarized, right? You either love it or you hate it, right? Because it's got a really stinky smell. It actually smells, I think, like, like sewage. Uh, but the taste is top-notch for those that are in its camp, right? Um, Tony tells me often that durian is called the king of fruits. The king of fruits. Uh, I think because of its large size, overpowering odor, 
it's, if you've seen it, it's like a formidable spiky look. It's got like, it's a, it's a very, like if someone threw a durian at you, I think it would cause injury. But if you look at a durian seed, you would never imagine what a full-grown fruit uh, it would produce. The seed looks like a, a small chestnut or maybe a date. It's generally brown, smooth, and fairly small. And I don't think it smells. Like you can sniff <laughs> a durian seed, and you're 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 good. But the f what comes out afterwards is vastly uh, different. That's kind of Paul's, I think, line of thought, right? He says, just look around, right? You guys are you're you're in this culture, you're in this life. A seed looks nothing like the plant. And that's what the earthly body is going to be like in comparison to the resurrected body. And so uh, Paul, I think maybe he's thinking about the, the post-mortem appearances or qualities of Jesus, right? Jesus had a physical body. I mean, sorry, he had a, a body when he resurrected, but it was different, right? He was able to walk through walls. He was able to like transport, right? He's able to ascend, right? So the normal laws of uh, uh, space and time didn't govern his body. So it was similar, but very dissimilar uh, to ours, right? So I think what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to, he's trying to like urge the Corinthians. There are some things that you're, you should be able to connect, you know, your experience, your normal, everyday, common experience um, with um, with Christian life, with trying to figure out what the Bible is saying, how to live your life. It, it, it's, it's appropriate to use a knowledge and wisdom and experience and the good, the, the good types to um, live life that honors God, to live a vibrant life of uh, discipleship. It's okay to... Now, these are the things that we can change, right? It might be hard. It might be like not desirable, but we should know what to do and we should apply it, right? God is willing to help us uh, with that. So let's try to apply that or think about that, how that might work in uh, discipleship realm. Like, as I was thinking about my life, there are some things that I know is pretty clear, just by reading the Bible or by interacting, just by living my life, even as a young Christian, I knew I better start doing that. I better start practicing that. And, and the first thought that came to mind is fasting, right? Fasting. Now, I'm still a novice after all these years uh, of, of fasting, but fasting is a spiritual discipline that um, I think disciples, Christians, right? We should regularly incorporate into our lives as a means of focus on God, right? We deny ourselves food, right? That's the typical form of it, uh, in order to not be distracted, in order to understand kind of like deprivation or privation, and through it to uh, draw closer to God. That we see that in the Bible, you know, a lot of Christian writing has uh, occurred on it, right? Now, I don't enjoy it, like I love food, right? And and. It doesn't always have to be food, right? Uh, some people fast from their phones. Some people fast from entertainment. Some people fast from in other ways. But it's a means of which, you know, we, I think we are carrying out what it says is if you want, if, you, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, right? Deny our entitlements, deny 
our rights to deny what we enjoy. That's, to me, that's, that, that's a no-brainer, if you know what I mean, right? No-brainer. Uh, that's something I, I should really try to uh, experience and try to benefit from, right? To grow uh, through. Uh, that's just my own personal thinking, right? Um, there's probably other areas that maybe are kind of maybe screaming for your attention, like, hey, this is something you got to change. Like, it's obvious that your discipleship is hurting or it, there's room for growth and, and you better tend uh, to it. When I was a, uh, first became uh, a believer, I had a lot of struggles on um, Saturday night, Sunday morning, <laughs> that time frame. Right? I'm, I'm a, I was an eye owl. I was a student. And, you know, I didn't want to go to sleep early. And uh, there was a lot to do, right? Uh, there was a lot of studying to do. There was a lot of partying to do. There was a lot of uh, games to play. There was a lot of, you know, things to explore. This is even before the Internet. Okay? <laughs> so imagine uh, how much harder uh, it is now. But as I drew closer to God, as I committed my life to Him, I found a great discrepancy, incongruity with staying up late on Saturday night and how sleepy I was at church the, the next morning, Right? It, it was just a direct function, right? It was just directly proportional that the later I slept, the more I tried to do on Saturday night. Sunday morning was not fun, was not enjoyable, was a very kind of like a cloudy experience, right? So when I actually was able to discipline myself on a Saturday night or maybe I needed several days to do it, Sunday became different. And it was obvious to me, as a, even as a new Christian, as a disciple, I better start working that out. I better like get my rest. I better do my work in advance. I better not, you know, like do too many crazy things on a Saturday evening. Even though you know I'm of that age, I'm I'm supposed to be having a good time. I'm you know there's there's a lot of people, there's a lot of access. But I said, okay, this is. I think the answer is clear. I, I got to do this, right? And I st struggle with it, and, and it, you know, it starts and fits. But, you know, that, that to me is an example of something that um, I should change, right? And if I try to, like, ignore it, or if I try to, like, like circumvent it, you know, I think Paul would say, how foolish. Right? That, that's, you don't even have to, like, think about that. That's an obvious change to make, that if you really want to worship God with your uh, clearest mind, with your fullest heart, with, with, with your body not distracting you, then stop playing video games at 2 in the morning on Sunday morning, right? Saturday night, Sunday morning, right? That, that you know, I didn't even need a great Bible study teacher or, a, a, you know, a deep understanding of the Bible to get that. Uh, you guys know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's funny because once I kind of overcame that, now as a pastor, I have to challenge myself to like make sure I get to sleep early because usually I'm trying to like tweak the sermon or, you know, whatever, whatever. And, and then I go, oh, my gosh, if I don't like give up, <laughs> I'm going to mess myself up and mess up the congregation. Uh, as well, so it, it's strange. Like I said, sometimes those things move around in, the, in those categories. Okay, 
let's move next to what I think there are areas maybe where we cannot change, and so we need serenity. So in verses 55, 50 to 56, Paul gets into some heady stuff about what will happen um, at the actual rising from the dead. So listen, and I tell you a, a mystery, right? We will not all sleep, but all be changed in a flash and twinkling when I at the last trumpet. So um, he's referring to the details of the last day when the dead will actually rise. He calls it a mystery, right? And I find that to be, in my, my understanding, the opposite of foolishness. In other words, no matter how smart you are, no matter how wise you are, no matter how good, a great a disciple of Christ you are, you're not going to be able to figure that out. You can't infer that. You can't get that through uh, effort and diligence and even prayer. Um, it's not an automatic um, information or something that, that can be figured out on our end. It has to be revealed. It has to be given. It has to be explained to us from God. So I read this as kind of Paul's tacit acknowledgement that God had to disclose this extraordinary knowledge to him somehow. Right? In other words, Paul was incapable of deducing this on his own. Somehow the, the nature of the resurrected bodies, Paul says, common sense, right? Use your brains. But in terms of like what the resurrection, what that's actually going to look like that's in, in the future, yeah, you can't, no matter how hard you try, the instantaneous manner, for example, or you know, he goes on to talk about uh, what happens, the destruction of death. That's not something that you know, we as human beings are supposed to be able to figure out, right? even if we are pursuing God passionately and sincerely. This transformation, what will actually happen from the perishability to imperishability. That has to come from God uh, to Paul. Now, all this to say that in our discipleship journey, there are areas that um, defy our understanding and will continue to defy our understanding, let alone mastery. Right? There are you know, many things that can be studied and worked upon in our Christian life, but Try as we might, pray as hard as we like, some things we cannot change. They require the agency of God, the timing of God, God's unknowable timing sometimes. So our response is patient trust, maybe even suffering um, in the meanwhile. And, and we need to be at peace with that, right? God grant me the serenity. Um, you know, uh, in our Second Corinthians Bible study, one of the groups I'm with, um, we're at... Um, the thorn in the flesh that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 12. It's just an amazing passage, right? And, um, you know, Paul, uh, this is something that, you know, the great apostle Paul is struggling with. It's something that he has asked God three times, mean, which means 300 times, right? It, it, he has pleaded, Lord, take this away, this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan, you know? It's not a good thing, whatever it is, but... He doesn't know why it's there. He doesn't know why he has to struggle through it. Or up till that chapter, he doesn't know why. But finally, he comes to accept it. God gives him an insight that through this torment, through this struggle, Paul is going to be able to yeah, full, more fully depend on God. Right? That's where Paul comes up with this weakness theology, right? That in my weakness, I can be strong. God, because we depend on God fully. 
But this, again, this is not something that, you know, Paul can figure out on his own. It's something that he finally had to just, okay, God, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grin and bear it. Right? I'm going to accept this. I can't change this. Right? And I don't know. There, there are those kinds of things that we never understand. Maybe it's lifelong. We, it remains a mystery. It remains something beyond our ability uh, to fix. Again, you know, I'm hoping this will trigger. In, trigger is not a good word. This, this will um, uh, surface. I'm not sure if that's a good word, but it will cause you to think about areas where that's true. Maybe you've prayed years for something. Maybe you've struggled like you know, tooth and nail. We've wrestled with something, but it just doesn't go away. Maybe it's a temptation. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a, uh, a, deb a debilitating physical uh, issue, or whatever the case may be. For for me personally, I was thinking, okay, what is that? Uh, and I, and I thought in general, this idea of having to work with difficult people, <laughs> right? Sometimes. You know, whether it was in a professional context or in a ministerial, even a relational context, I found that sometimes I just can't get through to somebody and they can't get through to me. Right? And, and it could be a personality issue, it could be like communication issue, it could be we don't have a choice. We just, there's, there's no way to, to kind of you know, rearrange things. And I think in, in our world where, um, you know, we, it's important to kind of, you know, be able to get along with people. And, you know, often I think, like, if you hear about, like, missionaries, the number one reason why missionaries come back from the mission field is they can't get along with their coworkers, something like that. It's a crazy, crazy reason. But I think that somehow, right, that, that's more prevalent than, 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 um, than not. And, and I struggle with that. I remember... One of my uh, one of my jobs, I got assigned a supervisor that somehow just had it out for me. Like he wasn't that much older, maybe like a year older, a year more in in in, in the particular um, job we were doing. But he just like he he lorded it over me and he made me feel like you you better know your place and, and that kind of stuff. And you know I I, I wanted I, I felt like I tried to push back, I tried to complain, I tried to do all this, but. And I prayed a lot about it. I said, Lord, give me, you know, either remove him or bring me something where else. You know, I, I, I tried all that. But after a while, in the end, I just said, okay, this must be for my benefit. Right? It must be a, a means of humbling me. Right? And, and somehow I was able to not make peace, but I was able to, like, endure it. How about that? I'm not that good to make peace with it. I, I endured it. And then I think in, in, in the Christian life, in, in our, uh, you know, um, uh, in our, in our uh, spiritual or, or, or church context, right, um, I could see that happening. I've experienced it. Maybe you are experiencing it, right? I was a, a leader at a former church where uh, I thought the person um, that kind of was making the decisions was like, kind of dragging his feet. He was like, his mind was focused somewhere else. And so a lot of opportunities, a lot of things that we should have done, he didn't even either get to or he kind of didn't think that it was whatever. He, he had his reasons, right? 
So I was, I admit I was kind of immature at that time, and so I started like complaining or, or kind of talking on the side to you know uh, another another leader, and I think. I I um I wasn't at you know this was something I couldn't change, but I didn't find uh, peace uh, within it. Um, so that's just kind of my example of you know, things that I cannot change, right? Things that maybe God doesn't want me to figure out just yet, right? So I got to wait on Him, or I I have to develop, uh, hurry up and build character, discipleship character in order to kind of walk through it. Okay, so last aspect of the serenity prayer, uh, the wisdom to know the difference. How do we figure out which one uh, this is, right? So uh, where do we gain that wisdom? Uh, I think a number of uh, answers could be offered, right? Some, some wisdom does come from studying and research, so you know, learn, study, read, uh, ask. Um, I think sometimes we may not know what to do, but um, by having enough of the right information and, and the right kind of facts or, or bases, um, we uh, can be clear on what can be done. And that's helpful, even if we don't know what the right decision is. Um, Another way, of course, of, of acquiring wisdom is through interaction, uh, through dialogue, maybe uh, spending time with those who are already wise, right? already wise. So their experience, their history, their answers can help us know the difference between these things that we can change and cannot change. I think discipleship is really, that's the form of, of growth, right? That, Discipleship is best developed through relationships. It's more than a book, more than self-contemplation, more than just kind of observing from afar. Personal interaction with other disciples, uh, especially the ones that God has set into our lives, I think that's where spiritual maturity can really develop. Right? I think so often I want to know the how-tos, the what-abouts, like give me the answers as opposed to share with me in your life how this works, how... Um, this can this can happen. So there's a common adage that used to be used in this context, that discipleship is more caught than taught. Right? You don't you not you don't only learn discipleship, you watch it and live it and, and experience it. We catch discipleship through our relationship with other disciples. Right? And in our pandemic era, <laughs> catching something, we understand what that means. Right? Uh, of course, the most important method of wisdom increase is to ask God through this direct bestowal by God, right? James 1.5 tells us that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to you, right? Plain and simple. No, uh, no bones about it. No, there's, no, there's nothing complicated about, you know, like, sometimes when I get into the, the, the nitty-gritty of things I can change and the things I cannot, I go, I want to throw up my arms, but God gives us a pretty uh, a simple and simple access. Ask me, God says, and I will give generously to you. That's the promise, right? Even if you don't feel very wise, even if you don't think uh, you can figure it out, even though you don't know what to do, 
like your your the the issue, the area flip flops between change, cannot change, and whatever. We should continue to claim and obey this verse. Keep asking God, especially as we try to be better disciples. Right? He can help us know the difference, and that's how I would encourage us to understand the final verse, the famous final verse of First Corinthians fifteen. Let us stand firm on wisdom, even if we stumble at times in our discipleship. Let's not. Give up. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Yeah. Seeking wisdom is not in vain. Discipleship is not in vain. Living the resurrected life is not meaningless. There is great wisdom in keeping at what God has called us to do. So I, I was going, okay, let me just finish with what's a, a discipleship area where wisdom is like paramount? And I don't know, maybe again, through our Bible studies or, or through kind of, you know, um, just kind of reflecting. I, I thought about finances. <laughs> How, as a follower of Jesus Christ, should I handle my finances? How should I, what's my philosophy of finance? What are my financial values, right? One of our groups were, were talking uh, through that. And I, I feel like it's, it's actually a complicated uh, answer, right? I mean, some people will like straight out say something like, you know, financial freedom is X, Y, Z. Financial uh, responsibility is A, B, C. I'm sorry, I ran out of letters. Um, but I, 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 my, my interaction with it, um, it it's, it's kind of, um, there, there's, there's a spectrum, right? Yeah, so you could have Great followers of Christ, you could have mature disciples, have different approaches to like uh, financial kind of um, mm, what to do, right? Financial uh, practices. I'm not sure there is one clear answer for something. For example, like um, I heard like some people teach don't ever get into debt. Don't take any loans. Credit cards are taboo. Right, and that kind of stuff. And then you hear uh, amazing stories of how Christians to like help somebody in need or to uh, you know purchase property for ministry. They they took loans and God blessed them, you know, mightily, you know, by you know expanding their their financial footprint, or whatever, that kind of stuff. So like those are in my mind like contradictory, right? So I think wisdom, wisdom, like retirement, like. Are we as Christians supposed to make sure that we are comfortable in our retirement? But what is then, when have we kind of crossed over to maybe insecurity where, you know, we're like afraid of not having money? We're not going to, in other words, we squirrel away more in retirement because we're, um, in, we're, we don't want. We can't trust God for everything. Is there a midpoint? You know, whatever that kind of thing. That again, like when people ask me that, I I, I say, you know, let us pray. <laughs> James one five. I don't know the answer. You have to wrestle with God, right? I think Paul gives us that hint when he's he doesn't tell them how much the, the Corinthians are going Each person should decide in his heart, right? What uh, he he should give, right? So between you and God, kind of thing. Uh, and stuff. So I, I feel like that's a an area. I still do think that it's ripe for uh, wisdom. I, for me, my my journey is like this. I think 
some of my thinking has changed over the years or it's kind of, uh, I've kind of refined them um, and stuff. But I think at the time, like my financial values when I was in my 20s and in my 40s and, and whatever, I think it represents different challenges God was giving me at the moment, right? Like if I didn't um, practice or if I didn't have a financial kind of expression the way I did in my 30s, I would never kind of be like that in that stage or in that situation uh, ever, right? So I think I, I'm okay with some of the modifications, some of the what we call maturation or some of the, the, the more riskiness that I've kind of, you know, kind of moved around in because it represents God trying to teach me something at a different stage of my life. Does that make I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. It might be different for you. Like you might have been implanted or your parents might have taught you something and you can square that with the biblical kind of teachings on finances. That, that's great. But for me, this is an area, you know, just yeah, fraught with um, difficulties. And I think uh, wisdom is, is so important. And uh, in a kind of a quiet way and in kind of a, but I think a, a thankful way, God has given me maybe you know, wisdom here and there to, uh, to be able to kind of, you know, um, be, be faithful uh, in, 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 a, in, a, in a manner, in a discipleship manner. Okay, that's it for today's thing. Just maybe wrapping up. We've now completed our little survey of trying to use the resurrection teachings and realities and to better understand how discipleship plays out in our lives. So whether it's teaching, whether it's admonishing, whether it's Increasing in wisdom, right? I hope, uh, like, the resurrection and, and, and other um, important uh, truths, right, of the Bible, it can make us disciples, right, better disciples. And not only disciples ourselves, but disciple makers, helping others be disciples of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you for a chance post-Easter to uh, delve into some more of Paul's uh, insights and teachings. And I hope that um, indeed uh, it served as a kind of a template to understand discipleship uh, of its application and of its um, trying to, of its formation and even of its struggle. Uh, indeed, Lord, um, help us to ascertain those things that we should change and help it to start today. Help us to have more serenity as to those things that don't change or won't change. And then above all, let's give us wisdom, your wisdom. And help us to be active and, uh, um, and consistent in requesting that wisdom from above. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.